What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Opportunity Cops. We'll run through the weekend that was in college basketball and the NHL, underlining some situations outside of traditional betting on games before they start, where there might be betting opportunities that we noticed from watching these games and getting to know these teams. How the names change, but for the most part, the teams stay the same, with an exception in Wisconsin and their collapse on Sunday. Big Monday is less big with no Baylor tonight, but the NHL slate is loaded with potential plays. It's time to head to the window. Let's go! Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Nice to be back behind the mic. Took Friday off from the podcast last week. So a little three-day recharge when it comes to, you know, just the vocal cords, really. And, you know, we're four weeks to Selection Sunday. So this podcast from here till then, and obviously through the tournament, will be a lot more exciting because we'll be talking about brackets. Like, remember brackets? How much fun are brackets? Uh, we'll get to talk about brackets and matchups and all of that kind of stuff. And obviously, um, all our focus is going to be on the tournament. And so the majority of our focus for the next four weeks is going to be on college basketball, getting us ready for the tournament three more weeks left in the regular season and then a week of hopefully championship uh tournaments uh conference tournaments all of that sort of stuff so um we had on saturday the top 16 announced that you know not a ton of surprises necessarily and there's certain points as a sports consumer a sports fan a sports better etc etc where you you know sort of have to test yourself on whether or not you are a crazy person or not and saturday was one of those tests because i'm watching this reveal here and i keep having to remind myself that it's not a real bracket it's not a real reveal because as you probably know you know we're deep into the illinois and alabama futures and wondering where those matchups are going to be should you know they get matched up against baylor or gonzaga obviously we're trying to avoid that come the real selection we're trying to avoid those teams being in the same region as obviously the upper echelon of the ncaa basketball season and so i'm watching this and you know they've made it they've sort of put it out of order like the one seed then you know doesn't face the eight seed and the two doesn't face the seven and the three doesn't face the six and the four doesn't face the five and so i'm just sort of going like you know what what are we doing here and then i remind myself who cares this is just a made-up exercise to grab a couple extra viewers at 12.30 on a Saturday. It's probably the first time I've ever even watched it, but I was interested to see where Alabama and Illinois were going to end up being, uh, and so I just had to remind myself, and that's the thing. I'm like, okay, I am not a crazy person, because if I was a crazy person, I would have gone to Twitter and been like, what the hell is going on here? This is outrageous, and I think that's the difference between the lunatics on Twitter and the not-so-lunatics on Twitter. So, um, just, at the end of the day, just kind of fun to see actual, you know, it wasn't a full bracket by any means, but actual seedings um, leading up to the tournament. As for actual games that have been played since last we spoke on Thursday, 11-10 and 10 in college basketball for basically a dead-even split um, since Thursday's show. Uh, really frustrating, the last one, 
was one game that I played yesterday, which was Wisconsin and Michigan. And the handicap of that, obviously, a COVID break for Michigan. Uh, Wisconsin at home, a game, not necessarily a must-win game, but a game that Wisconsin, frankly, just kind of wins all the time. And when we talk about college basketball, the fun thing about college basketball is the names change, but the programs and kind of what happens during the season is often quite familiar. And we'll talk about that a little bit as we get into certainly the game uh, of the most prominence tonight. But Wisconsin's always Wisconsin, right? Like Wisconsin's not going to just show up looking like Florida State. And Florida State isn't going to show up one year looking like Wisconsin. They're going to do what they do. They're going to recruit the players that they recruit from. Um, and so it's just not going to be any different. And that's just a game that past Wisconsin teams win. And they have a 13-point lead in the second half. And you're just sort of sitting there going like, yeah, this is the type of game, you know, Wisconsin's going to grind you defensively. They're going to play good enough offense from a shot creation standpoint. They're not going to make a ton of mistakes. And they're not going to let you come all the way back on them because there's just not going to be enough time. Well, Michigan, and kudos to them, unless I still don't know what to make of this Michigan team. Obviously, it doesn't help that they were off for essentially three weeks. But... You know, I don't know that, and I don't want to not give Michigan credit here, but I don't know if that was more about Michigan, because I think Michigan is the same team that they always are, right? And whether it's Beeline or whether it's, you know, Jawan Howard, Michigan's just doing, you know, all the players on Michigan look like guys from two or three years ago, and it's just a different name on the back of the jersey. In some cases of Wagner, it's the same name on the back of the jersey, but, you know, the the teams don't look all that much different. They kind of run in together, right? It's almost like these different teams come off of an assembly line, and they fill these, you know, point guard position. Has to be sort of a shorter, shifty guy, like the hair is almost the same, and it's just type that type of thing right there's going to be a large seven foot center on michigan he's going to be white he's going to look uncomfortable but he's going to make layups and he's going to be a pain defensively so you know the point is is like i think michigan's just the same way they always are are they the third best team in the country or the eighth best team in the country i don't know right i don't know if that even really matters right i mean i've talked about you know from a seating standpoint getting into the top six to try to avoid Gonzaga and Baylor so it's going to matter from that standpoint but it's going to work itself out when it comes to different matchups here down the stretch in a loaded Big Ten you know we're probably going to see Michigan play Illinois we're, we're hopefully going to see even just this week coming up on I believe it's Sunday watch Ohio State and Michigan play like these are the matchups that we can look forward to again this season it's a knock on wood type of situation of course and so to me this game was more about Wisconsin like it's not it may look the same from a, like, who are the athletes on the court type of standpoint, but that's a soft Wisconsin, the, you know, this version of Wisconsin is a soft group. Zero rebounds from their two main guys up front, right? Not getting the shot making from a guy like Brad Davidson, who, you know, I'm not saying him personally, like, he would make that shot last year. It felt like and in this season he's just not or at least he didn't in this game and so they end up you know cratering entirely but that brings up sort of a bigger picture thing that I wanted to talk about on this Monday and it's the idea of sort of betting opportunities and finding them in places not you know so in places outside of just picking games putting out your card on Saturday morning 
you know, 14, 13 games, you know, 16 games, whatever, and then just going like, this is my card, let's see how this goes, right? Because it, you know, we talk all the time about this, you're never going to be able to copy exactly what I'm betting, whether it's the exact same lines at the exact same time, you know, we have all these apps and we can do this as best we can, right? I can put in, you know, a bet, you know, I put in a handful of bets on Friday night for college basketball on Saturday to make sure that we get the best of the line out there. And, you know, whether you have notifications set or you don't, like you might not, you know, see them and you might not go to your book and have those same lines. So it's just, we're never going to get this exactly correctly, I don't think, because it's just really hard to kind of communicate all of this in a, in a, in a market, right? If we were tra talking about the stock market and I said, you know, blah, 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 stock is a buy price at $45.20, like by the time you get that message, it might be a little bit higher than that. And are you going to make that, uh, you know, are you going to make that buy? Are you going to make that bet, if you will, um, at that price, right? And then it becomes a gray area. So the point is from an opportunity standpoint, you know, if we're betting all of these games, we're hopefully watching a lot of these games. And so we're learning about different teams and we're learning about, you know, pricing and all of that kind of thing. And so I want to sort of point out a couple of opportunities over the weekend. In some cases it went correctly and in some cases it didn't. And so Wisconsin's a perfect situation there where you go, you know, we trusted Wisconsin to take a lead and hold that lead because of the discipline of that team and, you know, what we have become accustomed to seeing from that team. But where we should have, and of course, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. if part of the main handicap is that, mis is that mis Michigan is going to not play particularly well, at least to start the game, because they haven't played in such a long time, and Wisconsin's, you know, well within the flow of the season, you know, why didn't we just bet the first half? It's not like there's, you know, sometimes you don't want to bet the first half because you're getting, you know, seven points with an underdog on a full game and the first half is three and a half or four and you go, okay, well, like I'd like, you know, to have more of a backdoor option here potentially at the end of the game. And then your team as the underdog is leading at the half and then they go and they end up losing and, you know, in some cases might not even cover the spread and you're sitting there going like, why didn't I just bet them? in the first half because with underdogs you want to have as little a time as possible for them to do what you need them to do right so obviously with a better team if they play for you know they play 40 minutes in college basketball if they played an 80 minute game the better team is going to eventually win that game more often than they're going to win a game in 20 minutes right one of the most sort of uh fun NCAA tournament bets, prop bets, is first to 15, because even a 16 seed can win, you know, can get to 15 points first, right? They can win five minutes of a basketball game, or however long it takes in that game to get to 15 points. And so there's opportunities there all the time to kind of bet an underdog and come out uh, on top. So when it comes to this game, I'm like, I'm, you know, again, hindsight 2020, I can't believe I didn't just take the first half because again, with a game lined like minus one, like you know, essentially a pick'em game, the half was going to be a pick'em as well. And sure, like I, the reason we lost that bet is because we trusted Wisconsin to be able to hang on to a 13-point second-half lead at home, and they couldn't do it. And sort of that's on them, right? So you can beat yourself up all you want about not winning that bet, but again, 
like we can't shoot the baskets you know the ball into the basket for them we can't you know not foul defensively constantly we can't not turn the ball over all of the time for them right like that's not our our abilities here at this point in time and so we can just sort of put ourselves in the best possible position to succeed but the mental framework of oh this has to be a a full game bet is something that even myself like i have to keep reminding myself that first half is an option and if the handicap is that wisconsin's going to get out to a lead let's take that second part out of the equation let's get that whole them having to hold on to the lead thing out of it and let's just take the first half other opportunities from this past weekend ones that were a lot more successful i tweeted out a live bet it was going into a commercial break so again in theory if you have the you know twitter notifications on and you're watching the game and you're sort of ready you know it would have been possible to get this bet in but it was auburn plus six and a half down six points with about five minutes and change left to go against kentucky well you know going into that game kentucky was a you know minus one favorite then they moved up to a minus three favorite as money came in on kentucky and in the end if you know it mattered what what number you got and the reason it mattered was because Kentucky's not very good in the final five minutes. I don't know if that's because they just don't have, you know, your Tyler Harrows, your, you know, Tyrese Maxis, like these closer type guys on the team that they've had over the last few years. So while Kentucky looks like they always do, right, for if, coming off the bus, as they say, right, like this team looks like a Kentucky team, but they don't have that one guy who's going to act as a closer. I remember last year, you know, two different guys who, I think it was actually even three guys who were shooting like 85% or better from the free throw line. We're well, going to close a lot of games when you have guards, for one, who can create shots and to get fouled and then they can make those free throws obviously tyler hero was like a 90 percent free throw shooter the year before that who is that guy on kentucky that guy doesn't really exist at this point and so because we know that we have an opportunity to bet against them live so it's a six point game and we're getting six and a half points so we just need them to play to a draw here down the stretch and of course bunch of bad possessions auburn comes back even ties the game and we're laughing and it ends up being a two-point game again mattering on the point spread and so you know before the game if you had said okay well like i think kentucky's going to choke down the stretch and you were able to get plus three you were able to win that bet however if you were if you said that on friday night when the line opened at minus one and you said yourself Kentucky's going to choke down the stretch you would have needed Auburn to Auburn to win that game outright so you know I guess the point is is like why play that game beforehand thinking that you're going to need you know you're going to need Auburn but you're going to need Kentucky to choke down the stretch if that's going to be the issue Kentucky's good enough to play well for a period of time you know, sort of the same thing as Wisconsin, but in sort of an opposite way, where it's like, yeah, I expect, you know, especially with that line move from minus one to minus three, obviously that sort of indicates people think relatively highly in this spot. There is some value on Kentucky, certainly at minus one, but even at minus three as well, like you can expect Kentucky to have a lead. But if the fundamental issue for Kentucky is that they can't close games, why would we ever bet that game before the game starts? So going forward, if you were bet, you know, wanting to bet Kentucky, yes, betting Kentucky 
makes sense before a game starts, but you're going to have to hang on to your butt in the last five minutes. But to bet against Kentucky doesn't make a ton of sense at this point because they've shown an ability to have a lead against essentially any team that they play, whether it's Tennessee from a couple of weeks ago or even Arkansas late here over the course of the last week. And so now we know, right? We know about these teams. We know that Kentucky doesn't have a closer, and so there's opportunity going forward. Now, it might not necessarily win every single time, but again, we're just trying to win, you know, 55, 60% of these games. And so if we can create a sort of a subset, a category of just fading Kentucky in the last five minutes, that would have done pretty well so far this season. And there's enough games that we can deploy that strategy going forward. Another opportunity, and this, you know, will get us into hockey here in a second, but, you know, Winnipeg and Ottawa. A game that, you know, I didn't bet Ottawa beforehand because Matt Murray's out and we have put a, uh, you know, a strike on on betting against Marcus Hogberg and he ends up playing incredibly well. And so he ends up playing through, you know, 55 minutes to a 1-1 tie with Winnipeg. And I checked a live line and part of it is having to check, you know, going and thinking to check of the live line. But if the issue is Marcus Hogberg not playing very well, but he's showing that us that he has through 55 minutes. We need to go and check the line. It's not it's not plus 210 or 215 or whatever that line was before the game, but it's still plus 190 live. And our and if we know enough about the teams, if we know that Ottawa's issue is goaltending and that they can play 5 on 5 with a lot of these teams and we can turn this game into a 5 minute regulation game and then 3 minute uh, 3 on 3 for 5 minutes and then, you know, three shooters on a shootout. Plus 190 is looking a lot better than it does before the game starts where 5 minutes into the first period Marcus Hogberg slides out of the net and the puck ends up in the net and you're sitting there going like I can't believe I bet on this goaltender he's atrocious. We've given him 55 minutes to show us that he's playing pretty well on that day. And maybe the next time around it's not going to be nearly as pretty for Hogberg, but the point is is there was an opportunity there to bet live at 1-1 at a really good price. And I would have bet it at plus 150. I was ready to bet it essentially anything with a plus in front of it because again, short term, you know, I think there was value on Ottawa. Now they end up getting a goal with like three seconds left in the game and it was awesome and they end up winning that bet. But the point is, is that 1-1 with five minutes to go, give me any two teams and I'm taking the plus 190 especially if the fundamental issue is the goaltender and he's shown an ability to stop the puck. If that game's 5-5, five to five, maybe it's not the same situation because you're sitting there going like, okay, Hellebuck's going to tighten it up here and Hogberg's on the rails, right? But if it's 1-1, we've already seen the capabilities of Hogberg in that game, right? He's playing a good game. He has a little positive momentum, a little confidence going forward. Same sort of deal with Columbus and Chicago later in the day. And Chicago is a team with Patrick Kane, with Alex Dabrinkit. You want them with open ice. You don't want them in a defensive battle. And so if those two guys are playing and you get yourself into a three-on-three overtime, you are, I mean, depends on your matchup, but against a team like Columbus, you got to be the favorite in that situation or at least a better favorite than you were before the game. They were favored to win the game. It's virtually a pick though. Minus 115, minus 110, kind of depending on the price. But the point is, once that goes to overtime, I think there's an advantage now with Chicago, given the fact that you know we've got Patrick Kane in our lives here. Uh, we've got a goaltender in Lankinen that we like a lot. And so 
I much rather play that at minus 110 than have to play the 60 minutes going throughout that game. Other situations might not necessarily be the case, right? Dallas and Carolina. If that goes to overtime, if that goes to three on three, I don't think Dallas becomes more valuable at that point. I think Carolina is still probably more valuable in that situation. So it's dependent on the situation. So in cases like Wisconsin, where we don't recognize that situation, that opportunity, that's a bummer. But in the cases of those hockey games, able to recognize that. And then finally, uh, Daniel Berger ends up getting there for me on Sunday. He was plus 550 going into Sunday. I had him plus 1200 from earlier on in the week. But that's a situation where I'm in this, uh, I guess you'd call it a survivor pool at this point. Um, but it's pick a guy to make the cut and then you survive. And so a lot of my golf watching this season has been, you know, late Friday, is my guy going to make the cut? Is he close to the number, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, this early in the season, my strategy in this uh, contest is, and it's not particularly extravagant, it's take the favorite. And if you've already used the favorite, take the second favorite. And if you've already used the second favorite, take the third favorite, because I can get 30 tournaments in here and, you know, never really have to go beyond probably a top 20 um, type guy within the construct of that tournament, right? So um, because obviously there's different guys get going to different tournaments and, you, you know, it's not like a major field where all top 30 guys are always in there. I figure I can last 30 weeks by sort of taking a top five, top 10 type guy um, that weekend, right? Not overall in the world, in the world standing. Point is, Daniel Berger was my guy this, this week. And so he was somebody that I was paying attention to. And I wasn't paying attention to literally anyone else in the entire field. So if anybody else in the field had won, I would have totally missed it. I would have missed it if Nate Lashley had won because I hadn't been paying attention to what he'd been doing over the course of the first two rounds. But because I knew that Daniel Berger started on the more difficult course, because there's two different courses involved at Pebble Beach, and I knew that he had played a really good round on the more difficult course. So even though he was four or five, six shots back after the first round, I knew that he was still very much in contention. And even though the price at 12 to one wasn't exactly outstanding, uh, I was still willing to take my chances with him then playing the easier course on Friday, getting himself into contention. And as a guy who was, you know, essentially a top three guy in the field, depending on what your you know view at, the, at this point of Jordan Spieth is, you know, sort of Cantlay as the favorite and then Berger sort of the next guy. And so that's the only reason I was on Berger and no one else this week, because I did no handicapping with regards to this tournament. When I do, when we get into the summertime, you know, I talk about that on the podcast going into these tournaments, especially majors, right? That's when we start talking about golf on Wednesday of, the, of that major week and putting out bets for that. So again, taking an opportunity to, to go, okay, like I'm following Daniel Berger for completely different reasons. No intent on betting this tournament whatsoever. And, but I see that he's got this opportunity here to make up some ground on the second day and there might be a little bit of value on him. That's taking advantage of it. So, you know, this isn't to say like, oh, you know, look, I got Daniel Berger 12 to one and he won the tournament. Okay, great. Like I, if, even if he hadn't won the tournament, I'd be talking about this as part of this bigger picture. You're all sports fans. You're all listening to this because you're sports fans. You probably watch a lot of different sports, sports that I don't necessarily even watch, games that I'm not necessarily even watching. And, you know, maybe there's some NBA stuff that this applies to that I don't touch at all. 
And so you might notice something. Maybe it's Leafs uh, third period overs because they, you know, decide to show up in the third period after finding themselves in one-one, one-to-nothing games, you know, throughout the entire season, and then end up getting two, you know, three goals, stuff like that, right? Where if you found it, keep it a secret. I mean, tell me, let me know, shoot me a DM, but you don't need to let the universe know this because then your advantage will go away, right? Because if everybody knows that you know, this thing exists, it's going to go away pretty quickly. As for tonight in college basketball, fun week ahead that, of course, like literally everything in our lives, um, has been knocked down a little bit because of COVID complications with various teams. We were supposed to get Baylor and West Virginia tonight. I think we were supposed to get it twice this week, if I'm not mistaken. And we were supposed to get Baylor-Texas Tech on the weekend, I'm pretty sure. So the fact that Baylor taking, you know, essentially two weeks here uh, on a COVID break is, I'm not, I'm not saying it's like, it's convenient, but it is actually convenient for them to not have to face sort of the toughest part of their schedule. But the point is, is that it's a real bummer for us because I would have liked to seen those teams play Baylor, right? Like we've seen them knock around some really good teams certainly seen them beat the brakes off of some not so good teams but you know the whole point of the conference schedule and like two games a week and like is to see if you can be consistent over the course of a period of time going up up against some really good teams and we're just not i guess we're just not going to see that um from baylor this season and that's not a strike against baylor that's not saying that baylor isn't a really good team i think baylor is maybe the best team in the country and certainly definitively a top two team in the country but again um when we're not getting these number one versus number two or number one you know facing another top 10 team and of course we're never going to get that with gonzaga and as much as i like gonzaga as a program i'm higher on gonzaga as a program than most people who sort of swoop in and say like oh they never win and blah 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 blah. like i sat in the arena or in the stadium when they were in the national final against north carolina and got absolutely robbed by the officiating that night so I have a little bit more credit towards Gonzaga as a program than maybe a lot of people do. And if you haven't watched them play this season, listen, it's the same Gonzaga team. It's exactly the same as we talk about every year, except for there's one difference. And that's a top five draft pick that they've got freshman Jalen Suggs. And so you go, okay, it's the same for, you know, format that Gonzaga is bringing to the table, except they're also getting sort of the Dukeification, the Kentuckyification of having a guy who has a chance to be a number one pick. But I digress. Point is, we don't get to see them play anybody good in their conference. They played a ton of really good teams in their non-conference, so that's not no slight to them there. But as we get into February, where people are paying attention, all we want to see is the number one team and the number two team play really good teams and it just doesn't seem like we're going to get that over the course of the next few weeks hopefully things change and maybe we do as for tonight though we have a really good game still florida state hosting virginia and so florida state speaking of covid breaks coming off of a covid break not for this game but for a game on saturday where they end up in overtime with wake forest in sort of a surprising result given the fact that again florida state is a team we think pretty highly of and wake forest isn't and so you know it wasn't the same situation though where it was like let's bet you know wake forest in the first half it was really more florida state letting them back in that game which is something that florida state does pretty frequently again this is the team right it's the and again different players same sort of outfit 
right? Where, and you know, that's why coaching is so interesting and so important in college basketball. But I like Florida State minus, we're going to try to hopefully get minus one here. It's minus one and a half. It's opened at minus one and has moved to minus one and a half. Hopefully we can get it to tick back. You can find a book that allows you to get minus one. Even if you have to pay a little bit of juice, something like minus 115 would still work in this situation. I just don't know. So first and foremost, I mean, every year, Virginia and Florida State just play knockdown, drag out type of games. So, um, you know, the year that Florida, that Virginia won the national title, they lost in the ACC semifinals to Florida State. The year that they were undefeated going, you know, into the tournament, where of course they lost to 16 seed, you know, they played an incredibly close game with Florida State. And so, you're going to get, and God bless anybody who's taking the over in this game, but you've get, you're getting the top two ACC defensive teams in this one. But when it comes to Virginia, I don't know that I'm sort of ready to buy in. But again, it's the same thing with Virginia as well. A couple of the names change, a couple of new faces. You know, Virginia, a little bit more continuity year to year where you're getting some of the same players that you saw last year or two years ago just sort of moving along the assembly line from, you know, secondary player to starter and important guy. And they got smoked by Gonzaga, speaking of, earlier on in the season. And since then, it's been win, 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 except for a road loss at Virginia Tech. And so they go and they beat North Carolina comfortably at home this Saturday in a game that I thought North Carolina would be a lot more competitive in. And so on the one hand, you go, okay, the North Carolina is sort of a poor man's version at this point of Florida State, right? Heavy on the front court, heavy on the uh, athletes, the length, right? And when I say front court, I sort of just mean rotationally, you know, you're going to get issues at the rim defensively going up against Florida State, right? It's going to be a problem. For Virginia, I'm just looking at the schedule here. And since that Gonzaga loss, it's a bunch of wins, but it's Notre Dame, Wake Forest, BC, Notre Dame, Clemson. Georgia Tech, Syracuse, a loss to Virginia Tech, NC State, Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech. Not exactly, you know, uh, just an absolute you know, murderer's row here. So they get the win against North Carolina, not exactly a ranked team, not, not a ranked team either. Their road uh, season so far at BC, at Clemson, at Virginia Tech, a loss, at NC State, at Georgia Tech. So this is the biggest test so far of the season for Virginia and a spot where I wouldn't blame them if they lost the game outright, right? Again, they're not even favored to win the game, so that shouldn't be sort of saying much at all. Maybe this is a situation where we grab Florida State in the first half. This isn't the same sort of COVID issue where it's like, you know, you're going, you know, one team's going to be a little bit rusty. The point is, is if we're concerned about Florida State blowing the game in the second half, which they did a couple of years ago. I think they were up like 10 points against Virginia and they ended up losing the game outright at home. You know, I think they're going to play well. I think they're going to play a lot better after sort of a sleepy spot against Wake Forest. If we were sort of a little bit more aware of, you know, you know, in college basketball, you have to look ahead at the schedule. You know, it might get you into trouble a couple of times, but I think more often than not, especially with big favorites, you're going to find yourself... Um, a pretty good bet here or there when you see, oh, on Monday night, Florida State has Virginia. Like, why would they be up for this game at home against Wake Forest, you know, giving, you know, 11 points or whatever it was? 
So I think you're going to get a better game out of Florida State here. Um, I'll take them again. Hopefully, minus one is the number that we want there. And then I'm also going to grab another favorite here. Washington State, minus seven and a half. They deserve better on Saturday night. That was a game that was six to eight points the whole way with USC. A couple of different shots go down, and they would have covered that number relatively comfortably. As a stand right like usc makes all their free throws and a six to eight point game becomes an eight to ten point game and they end up you know usc ends up covering that number but i was impressed with how washington state played especially since they got down big relatively early on and fought back against usc they already smoked washington a couple of weeks ago we were on them on the road against washington didn't understand that number and that was about as easy as it could possibly get from a win standpoint now they're laying some wood here, right? It's minus seven and a half. That's a pretty big pill to swallow here if you're a Washington State team. But I think that, that they're capable of doing this against this Washington team that, again, I don't think very much of. So minus seven and a half is a little dicey. The one thing we're going to want to keep our eye on here is Isaac Bonton, you know, banged up at the end of that game against USC. So, again, another situation where is he going to be in the lineup this is the guy who regularly has been kind of dicey um with regards to injury type stuff and you know that's sort of been part of his career at this point in time so again a couple of favorites one small one bigger that we're going to take a shot with here tonight wish we had baylor in west virginia to watch as well but we don't and that's the uh that's the life we live these days as they say in hockey let's do that hockey Thank you very much, Laszlo. Let's do that hockey. Not a ton, not a ton of plays over the weekend. Um, Dallas was almost going to be a play on Saturday, so again, sort of avoided that, which would have been irritating as that went to overtime and a shootout. Um, but we go 2-0 and on previews from the Action Network as Detroit plus 155-150 um, was a nice play to sort of bounce back after having them at the same number against Nashville earlier on the week. Um, thinking that was a pretty good bet. I think it was a good bet, did not win, but then Saturday we get a bounce back situation there and they pull through um, comfortably beating Nashville. Uh, I believe the game was 4-2 to two overall, but it's 4-1 um, through much of the third period. And then Montreal, plus 125. So again, two underdog bets that we had that were, you know, Action Network preview uh, write-ups and, you know, best bets for the day. So that was good to have Montreal come back, win their uh, nice little... Um, nice little effort out of them after sort of struggling for a few week for a few games i should say over the last week probably should have beaten toronto the first time around in montreal but again didn't so again a couple of different little revenge spots there which are always a little bit nicer especially after a uh, a rough go previous uh, in the free in the previous matchup um as for tonight two previews on the action network app um very similar detroit again going back to the well there a team that i just think is underrated and that it continues to be a live dog um, whether it's sort of a bigger dog against kind of mediocre teams, and that would be the Nashville category, um, or a home dog, the way they are tonight against the Chicago Blackhawks. Chicago getting a ton of credit for this 5-2 and two little run that they're on, but the underlying metrics aren't particularly great. Um, and Detroit returning home here at plus 120. I just think there's value on a game that's a 50-50 uh, type game and frankly I actually have Detroit as the better team five on five I know that Chicago has a much better power play you know special teams advantage here 
but they haven't been getting to the power play nearly enough. And I think that's an NHL-wide thing. I would have to go and try to dig up some uh, stats on this, but it seemed like the start of the season they were calling everything in sight. I think that's kind of taken a bit of a backseat, and that means that Chicago's not going to be able to take advantage of five, six power plays, right? Enough power play opportunities that their percentage actually becomes a little bit more predictive in this case, if they're only going to get two power plays, which Dan Detroit has only given up essentially two power plays per game over the last five or six games. So if Chicago's only going to get two, now like we're really relying on five-on-five five play. And I have Detroit right now, five-on-five, five, as a very average team. And that's actually complimentary in that, obviously, the expectation here from the marketplace is that Detroit is not average. They are considerably below average. I have Chicago as a considerably below average team five on five, right? They continue to give up opportunity after opportunity. And while I think the goaltending has stabilized them and kept them in games and allowed them to win, you know, five out of their last seven, I, you know, the, the numbers are what the numbers are. And now they account for Lankinen as being their starter because he's played enough games. Earlier on in the season when he was only sort of playing, you know, he had played three games out of the first six, essentially. Something along those lines. It's like, okay, that's obviously, you know, you know 50 percent that's not really taking enough into account well now we've got him and he's played you know 75 maybe even 80 percent of the games here so we now have their number with him in the mix and their number is still not high enough to be a road favorite here now they may win the game as you know that's sort of how hockey works the percentage of time that the better team five on five even after we know the stats you know but the amount of times that they actually win the game you know, aren't nearly high enough than you'd think. And so Chicago could very well win the game, but at plus 120, I think there's a ton of value there. And then the other preview that I wrote was Calgary minus 130. And this is pretty simple, right? If if Markstrom is in, I don't care where they play, if minus 130 is the number against Vancouver, I'm going to take that. Now, Vancouver gets the win on Saturday, throws 40, almost 50 shots at Markstrom, and even then, they need a late goal, five minutes to go or so, to take a lead at 2-1 to one and eventually win that game. And so I'm going to bet on Calgary coming back here and having a much better game from a skater's standpoint. And we've got enough games here. What we're at, I think, four uh, games with Markstrom facing his old team here in Vancouver. And his goals against is like 1.26, something along those lines. And his save percentage is like 97. And if he's playing, which it looks like he's going to, I think minus 130 is a good deal. And if it takes 45 plus shots for Vancouver to win a game as a plus 110, plus 115, I'm happy to take Calgary again, like we did um, back on Thursday in the first game of this sort of trio of games in Vancouver. It'll be interesting to see where the price ends up going for the fourth game uh, back in Calgary. Others in contention haven't made a bet yet, but there's a few other that are sort of on my radar here, right? And so we have, of course, Ottawa back in play. Now, Ottawa's, you know, up against Toronto tonight, and they are sitting at about plus 240, plus 245, and... They're playing three games here against Toronto. And so if you just blind bet Ottawa here every single time, right, you just need one out of the three to at least win a half of a unit. Now, obviously, the risk there is that you lose all three of them, which isn't ideal, of course. But this is a team that, you know, just beat Winnipeg, just beat, you know, beat Montreal in one of the two games that they played against Montreal. And it was very competitive in the second game. And it's a team that's already beaten Toronto once this season. 
So the idea that this is just some like impossibility doesn't really make a ton of sense. And so I don't, I'm not dying to bet Ottawa in this situation, especially coming off of a win and on the road, right? You know, go, traveling from uh, Winnipeg to Toronto. It's not something that I'm dying to do. And so I sort of look, okay, well, can we bet the plus one and a half? But the thing is, betting these plus one and a halves here in the regular season with, you know, you think you're getting value because you're betting on sort of this worst team and you're getting plus 110 and we get into the playoffs and these plus one and a halves are like minus 200. And so you think, oh, we're getting great value here. But think about how the game might play out, right? If you're betting this plus one and a half, obviously you're hoping, duh, to have this game be within one and a half goals. But if this game gets down to and it's three to two with a minute to go, Toronto's going to get an empty net goal, right? The six on five for Ottawa isn't going to be enough to prevent them from getting a shot. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but I'm saying the probability is, all right, I think it's a better than 50-50 probability that Toronto's going to get that empty net goal. Especially in a day and age, as they say, where teams pull their goalie with two minutes, two and a half minutes to go in the game. So essentially to cash this plus one and a half, doesn't it really feel like you're going to need them to go to overtime? Or win the game outright in regulation. But if they're going to win the game outright in regulation, I might as well try with plus 250 if we can get that number. And when we get to overtime or a shootout, I'd be happy to lose that bet with plus 250 going into overtime or a shootout. So I just think that there's a, you know so little probability you know relative to the price that Ottawa keeps this within one goal and doesn't win the game. I'd rather just take my shot here with a plus 250 that over the course of one of these next three games, they're going to play well enough that they can sneak a win here. At the same time, I don't know that Toronto's playing particularly great, right? We saw them obviously lose to Montreal, um, a game that they probably should have lost before that against Montreal, and a game that, frankly, they should have lost against Vancouver, before that, so we're looking at three straight games here where Toronto hasn't looked particularly good. Talked a ton about them over the course of the season, consistently being on the lower half of the expected goal share, right? Less than 50%, five on five on the expected goal share. And that hadn't cost them up until literally Saturday, and then it cost them on Saturday. So again, all the value in the world here on Ottawa, but you're trusting the goaltending. Now, it appears that Matt Murray is supposed to be back between the pipes, which obviously is a big deal because I'm not looking for back-to-back really good games out of Marcus Hogberg. So that's on the board. At plus 250, that becomes a very interesting bet. I think anything over plus 200, obviously, has some value given the two teams. Um, the next two are sort of combined here. And I don't mean them combine them in the parlay. I just mean that if you bet one, I think you kind of have to bet both. Florida and Nashville. Uh, not playing each other, but both are about plus 150 in their various games. Florida uh, up against Tampa Bay. Just split with Tampa Bay. Uh, I think their number is as high as it is because Steven Stamkos looks to be back here after a COVID list, potential injury situation. We'll see about that. But at plus 150 or better, and we talked last week about the importance of plus 150 in money lines over the course of a long period of time. I don't need to rehash that. But there's a big difference between plus 150 and plus 145. Nashville, same sort of deal here. This time they're on the road to Dallas. 
Um, again, a Dallas team that wasn't even favored to beat Carolina. Now, I know Carolina's a very good team, but the point is, is like this isn't some guaranteed team that's going to win the, win the game at home. Just lost two straight to Chicago last weekend. So, like, why is this team favored uh, to the tune of minus 170? So, both of these teams, whether it's Nashville and Dallas or Florida and Tampa Bay, are plus 150 or better. And being priced at 40%, I have them winning closer to 43, 44% of the time. So this isn't a they should be favored situation. This isn't even really a coin flip situation, but this is a 3% edge that again, over the course of the season, when we've got 200, 300 plays, you know, the idea is to win, you know, and to, and to have a 3% edge or better, of course, these are two bets that I think we have to make if you can get those prices. And then the last one is, on the flip side, it's a favorite. I know, you can't believe it. It's a big favorite. It's Carolina. Carolina right now, minus 160 is a buy point for me. There's sort of some high minus 160s out there. I know Pinnacle has a minus 157 uh, against Columbus. This is a team that James Reimer just had the essentially the weekend off. So, you know, when we look at the veteran Reimer, 33, 34, 35 years old, however old he is, it's a guy that we don't want him playing every single night. And if they're able to win games with the backup goaltender, and I mean, when I say the backup goaltender, I mean the third string goaltender, that's great for them. And so I'm willing to take a shot here with Carolina if we can get a number that I like. Now, again, when we have these big favorites, especially above minus 150, right? So obviously, if we're talking about the importance of plus 150, we have to talk about the importance of minus 150 over the length and course of time. And so if it's minus 150, that's worth a bet. But if it's not, and if it's higher than minus 150 and there's still value, which I think there is here, I'm going to be looking at the in regulation price. Because again, if I'm betting a minus 150 or a minus 160, I should say, I'm not looking for overtime, right? I'm not looking to be sitting there with minus 160 in a three on three hockey game or in a shootout, especially if my goaltender is James Reimer, no offense to him personally. So I'm more likely to just take the stab at them winning in regulation, showing that they're the better team that I think they are, and we're probably getting some decent value on the in regulation play. And that way, if we lose in regulation, okay, that's fine. We didn't lose the minus 160 price. We lost closer to an even money type of a price when it comes to this game. And if it goes to overtime, well, I was wrong anyway. And I don't really want to pay, you know, 65 cents. If I can get Carolina in regulation minus 105 or even money, I don't really want to pay 65 cents to hope to get bailed out in overtime. That doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. So those are plays that I'm looking to make. Haven't, you know, locked them in just yet. But I think there's obviously some interesting stuff here when it comes to Monday night's hockey games. Um, not a ton going on in the NHL tomorrow that we have to look at. Speaking of tomorrow... Uh, Ted Ballantyne will join us Tuesdays with Ted. He's fired up. He's got some college basketball questions. This is, you know, he's a guy um, who we like to have on the show as a, uh, you know, recreational better, right? Like the average better guy who's just sort of, you know, going through the all the different sports seasons, you know, watches baseball in the playoffs, you know, has tangential interest in hockey, follows the NBA, likes to get in, into college basketball come March Madness or just before that. So now with, the, now with the Super Bowl, you know, last week, he's like, I've got a bunch of questions for you, you know, or can you do a segment, uh, of, you know, talking just sort of a refresher on the season. So we're going to do that with him. I said, you know what, let's just use your segment 
for this. And so we'll take sort of a step back and he'll sort of launch some questions at me that if you too are just kind of like floating in here for college basketball here for this little run that we're going to go on for the next four weeks, um, it might be a perfect segment for you. And, you know, hopefully he has the same questions that you might have. Um, meanwhile, like if you want to DM me some questions as well, I'm happy to add that into the mix for Tuesday's show, uh, later in the week, hoping, you know, looks like, and I never want to say for sure, so it's a bit of a knock on wood situation, but hoping to have another guest on, um, you know, sort of a longer form conversation with a guy in the sports betting landscape. That's a wrap for this Monday show. As usual, subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. Uh, follow along on Twitter at MRussAuthentic. Helps to have that address if you plan to DM any questions. Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.